It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend Jon Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, it is August, August 28th, 2020 at approximately 4.02 p.m. Uh, Special Agent Scott Dahlstrom with Special Agent uh, Byron Mitchell. Uh, CHS for meet with uh, Zebedias Hall. Thank you. You can hear this. I put it in my front pocket, right? Yeah. Okay, got it. It's late afternoon on a warm day in Denver, Colorado. It's drizzling outside, and Michael Adam Windecker II, or Mickey, as he prefers, is sitting in the back seat of an FBI car. Two federal agents are with him, and one of them, FBI Special Agent Scott Dahlstrom has just handed Mickey a small hidden camera. Mickey turns the camera to his face, shooting from an unflattering angle below his chin. You can see Mickey's thin red mustache and scraggly goatee that's turning gray. He's propped his large sunglasses on his forehead, and he's looking straight down into the tiny camera lens. Mickey is not ready for his close-up. Video look good? Yep. Yeah, look handsome. Mm-hmm. Not as handsome as that kid. Mickey points to someone outside, walking past the car. And then he opens the car door to leave. All right, see you guys shortly. The FBI agents tell him to remember his instructions, which were given to him before the camera started recording. Yep, I got it. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. Mickey then walks to his car, the silver hearse, and places the FBI's camera on the passenger seat. Mickey looks down toward the camera and addresses the FBI agents, who are watching the live feed remotely. I got a song for you guys.
Mickey has good reason to feel patriotic in this moment. The FBI has signed him up as an informant, or, in the FBI's term of art, a confidential human source. And Mickey's getting paid thousands of dollars every few weeks. Cash. And Mickey, he's got a very specific assignment from his employers at the FBI. Go after his new friend, the young black activist Zeb Hall, and find a way to bring federal charges against him. As the song ends, Mickey again looks down toward the FBI camera. America. I'm Trevor Aronson. From Western Sound and iHeart Podcasts, this is Alphabet Voice. Episode 3, Black Identity Extremism. So, to come right out and say it, Mickey Windecker wasn't a badass Antifa warrior after all, as activists like Zeb Hall had thought. He was an informant, a snitch, working for the FBI. Which seems to go against everything Mickey claims to be, right? Remember his little life rule? I have an old biker saying, which is called, fuck the three Ps, the politicians, the press, and the police. It's just the way it is. Fuck the three Ps? Yeah. Turns out, that's bullshit. Fuck the two Ps? Maybe. Because this Mickey guy, he's in bed with the police. And the cops are not only helping him, they're paying him. Today, the FBI has more than 15,000 registered informants. And in the summer of 2020, Mickey is one of them. That conversation you heard in the last episode, when Mickey and Zeb were talking about training at Zeb's apartment, Mickey, on his own initiative, had secretly recorded the whole thing and delivered it to the FBI, apparently in the hopes of getting hired on as an informant. I need your help in doing this stuff. Also, leave really alone have to fight. Well, here's the thing. You have, and that's where I'm coming around to is, you have to decide where and what you're going to do. You know, I can't sit here and tell you, oh yeah, you should totally like blow up rich neighborhoods and shoot the white people in the neighborhood, you know, uh, and or, or burn the federal courthouse down and shit like that. That's something I can't tell you to do. This recording ended up being Mickey's audition tape for the FBI. The official explanation for how Mickey Windecker became an informant can be found in FBI reports, internal investigation reports focused on racial justice demonstrators in Denver. These reports aren't public, and the FBI didn't intend to have them out there. Maybe not ever. They were provided to me, along with Mickey's undercover recordings, by someone who is deeply concerned about the FBI's surveillance and infiltration of Black activist groups. According to the FBI's reports, Mickey had returned to Denver after being a volunteer fighter with the Peshmerga, the Kurdish military force in Iraq that was fighting the Islamic State, or ISIS. Mickey told the FBI, and I'm quoting here from the report, that he found a sense of purpose and honor there and made an oath to always fight against threats both foreign and domestic. War with ISIS. Kurdish troops in a frontline battle with an enemy that took their land. 
Mickey was among dozens of Americans who volunteered to fight for the Peshmerga. With them, a half dozen Americans, veterans of the war in Iraq, back as volunteers. Once back in Denver, Mickey started participating in the protests following George Floyd's death. And he saw what was, in his view, a new domestic threat. Mickey said he witnessed protesters damaging property and threatening violence. So Mickey started providing information to police in the Denver area. Local police there then introduced him to the FBI as part of something known as the Joint Terrorism Task Force, which is a partnership between local cops and the FBI. Every major metropolitan region in the United States has a Joint Terrorism Task Force, or JTTF. Mickey's motivation for being an informant was, and again, I'm quoting from an internal FBI report, to fight terrorists. And Mickey believed that, quote, people who participate in violent civil unrest are terrorists. So Mickey, the big bad ISIS hunter just back from Iraq, now has a new target. Racial justice protesters whom he considers terrorists. You want to know something? It wasn't just Mickey. Almost the entire FBI thought this way too. More after the break. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
FBI reports about Mickey's work as an informant refer to racial justice demonstrators as anti-government extremists, which is one of the ideologies the FBI classifies as domestic terrorism. During the Trump administration, the FBI and the Justice Department came up with a new catch-all category to define a type of domestic terrorism from Black Americans. They called it Black Identity Extremism, a new and rising form, in the FBI's view, of anti-government extremism. It's a great question. What is a black identity extremist? I think we're all trying to figure that out. Nobody knows, in part because it doesn't exist. This is racial justice activist Malkia devich Cyril speaking on the radio and television program Democracy Now! during the first year of the Trump administration. It's a term fabricated by the FBI, constructed, and it has a history. I mean, for a very long time, for many decades in this country, probably centuries, the FBI has criminalized black dissent. In 2017, the FBI's counterterrorism division released a 12-page intelligence report that claimed black identity extremists were motivated by police brutality to target law enforcement officers with violence and even murder. The FBI's theory was that racial justice activists had become radicalized following a police officer's fatal shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014, which sparked weeks of violent clashes between protesters and police and brought international attention to the Black Lives Matter movement. Using the same tactical getup and the same weaponry we've come to expect in urban warfare in Iraq and Afghanistan, police in Ferguson, Missouri once again had to put down and head off violence in the streets. The 2017 FBI report inspired by the events in Ferguson says, quote, Black identity extremist perceptions of police brutality against African-Americans spurred an increase in premeditated, retaliatory lethal violence against law enforcement and will very likely serve as justification for such violence. The FBI's evidence for this theory of rising Black political violence was pretty thin resting on a series of a half-dozen crimes committed by Black Americans over a three-year period that had no apparent connection with one another and no unifying political ideology. It talks about Black activism against police violence and police racism, even though it says purported police (laughs) uh, uh, violence, as if it somehow isn't clear that that's uh, a real thing, was a sign of somebody being a Black identity extremist. This is Michael German, a former FBI undercover agent. German regularly testifies before Congress about FBI policies and practices. And what you saw in that report was, you know, six incidents of crimes that were unrelated to one another over a three-year period. These six people didn't know each other. The crimes weren't related. There was nothing similar about them but their Black identity. And that's why they called it a Black identity movement, that it was assuming that any black activist who was protesting police violence and police racism was part of a violent movement to overthrow the the government or to kill police. Again, this report was released just a few years before the George Floyd protests in 2020. The revelation that the FBI had come up with a black identity extremism category for domestic terrorism was met with widespread criticism in the news media and on Capitol Hill, particularly given that Americans at the time we're seeing increasing violence from white supremacists and other far-right groups. Many have also noted the FBI memo was dated August 3rd, 
only a few days before the deadly white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, where white supremacist Ku Klux Klan members and neo-Nazis killed an anti-racist protester, Heather Heyer, and injured dozens more. In response to the controversy that they had created, the FBI came up with the term racially motivated violent extremism, bundling together into a single category violence from both white supremacists and so-called black identity extremists. This new category combines incidents involving white supremacists with a new uh, category that we've discussed before uh, called black identity extremists. And so that's really problematic to me. In 2019, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey questioned the FBI director, Christopher Wray, about this. When did the FBI eliminate the white supremacist category in favor of that racially motivated violent extremism category? One of the points that we've tried to emphasize to our folks across all of these vectors is that we only investigate violence. We don't investigate extremism. We don't investigate ideology. We don't investigate rhetoric. It doesn't matter how repugnant, how abhorrent, or whatever it is. And so what we have tried to do by our recategorization is make clear that it's about the violence, not about the ideology. Director Ray then disclosed, for the first time, that the FBI had abandoned the term black identity extremism. Forgive me, this is news to me. So you, do no, you no longer use the, the, the black identity extremism. That's no more. That Correct. Categorism. That's, Correct. Great, that's great news. So nobody's being surveilled or investigated on the black identity extremism. We don't, use, we don't use that terminology anymore. We don't use that terminology anymore, Ray said. But he didn't answer the other part of Senator Booker's question. Were people still being surveilled and investigated? Is suspected of being black identity extremists? And the answer to that question was, and is, yes. The work of Mickey Windecker is perhaps the clearest example of this type of investigation by the FBI. Back in Denver, the FBI had no reason to suspect that racial justice activists were ready to step over the line toward political violence and terrorism. But the FBI, using Mickey, started infiltrating these groups anyway and started dropping not-so-subtle hints to anyone willing to listen. Hey, if you want to get involved in violence, let me know. I'm your guy. Like this, from Mickey in Denver. I don't want it to be where I'm pressuring you, like, oh yeah, you should totally, you know, blow up the fucking governor's house. It's, 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 If it's what you want to do, then, you know, I have to make sure that's what you want to do. It sounds absurd, right? One of these racial justice protesters is going to blow up the governor's mansion? But to the FBI, this wasn't absurd. It seemed possible. It seemed real. That's because inside the FBI, agents all the way to the top saw the racial justice protests as another 9-11 waiting to happen. Yeah, another 9-11. In the summer of 2020, as racial justice demonstrations broke out around the country, top officials at the FBI in Washington, D.C. saw the seeds of terrorism. David Bowditch, the FBI's deputy director, the second in command, sent an internal memo to his top aides that compared these demonstrations to the 9-11 terrorist attacks. When 9-11 occurred, our folks did not quibble about whether there was danger ahead for them, Bowditch wrote. They ran head-on into peril. 
In the memo, Bowditch described the racial justice demonstrations throughout the country as a national crisis, whose violent protesters were highly organized. That the FBI would see the world and these protests through a prism of terrorism is perhaps understandable in context. The 9-11 attacks transformed the FBI, and counterterrorism became the agency's top priority. There's a concept of cognitive bias, known as the law of the instrument, or Maslow's hammer, after the famous American psychologist Abraham Maslow. He wrote in 1966, I suppose it is tempting, if the only tool you have is a hammer, to treat everything as if it were a nail. So you have this agency full of hammers, and you have the guy at the very top, President Trump, almost every day in speeches and on Fox News, saying that there are nails all over the country, just waiting to be hammered. The violence and vandalism is being led by Antifa and other radical left-wing groups who are terrorists. And it was also frustrating for me to see how ably, usually that's not a term that you use when you're referencing former President Trump, This is former FBI agent Michael German again. But how ably he was able to make this boogeyman out of Antifa, you know, this concept. And how clever it was that he wasn't using the full term anti-fascist, right? If you're saying that your enemy is anti-fascism, that says a lot about you, right? Uh, But by using this handle Antifa, when really what he was focused on was the Black Lives Matter rallies. Right, that it was like, okay, I'm, I can't say Black Lives Matter is a problem, but I think it was very clever the way they were able to, to use that term to justify a much more violent law enforcement response. Amid this Antifa scare, even what we knew publicly at the time about the federal government's response to the Black Lives Matter movement was shocking. The Justice Department charged hundreds of people with felonies and misdemeanors, for their roles in First Amendment-protected demonstrations. CBS News has confirmed Attorney General Bill Barr is encouraging U.S. attorneys nationwide to seek federal charges against violent protesters even when state charges could apply. The Department of Homeland Security deployed agents dressed in military-style uniforms and even abducted some demonstrators off the streets. Since their arrival, federal agents wearing military-style gear and sometimes driving unmarked vans have unleashed tear gas into crowds, rounded up and detained protesters, and even shot one man in the head with a non-lethal round, causing serious injury. There is new information tonight on how National Guard planes were used to monitor Black Lives Matter protests. And military spy planes were deployed above cities nationwide to monitor protesters. Including one over a suburb just outside of Sacramento. But throughout this period, it was unclear how exactly the FBI, the nation's most powerful and influential law enforcement agency, was responding to the racial justice demonstrations. By the time the racial justice demonstrations broke out nationwide in 2020, the FBI, thanks to the war on terror, had recruited an army of informants in a warrantless mass surveillance apparatus that could monitor phone calls and digital communications and footprints. The FBI also created a new type of investigation called an assessment that did not require what's known as a criminal predicate, which basically just means a reasonable suspicion that a crime is occurring. With an assessment, an FBI agent can open an investigation on just about anyone for just about any reason. As long as the agent asserts 
their own impression that what they're doing is designed to protect the national security or solve crime, they're good to go. Again, Michael German, the former FBI agent. And with these investigations, a lot of very intrusive tools are authorized, uh, including physical surveillance and and uh, <clears throat> use of grand jury subpoenas to get subscriber information. But most alarming to me, recruiting and tasking informants. And so here's the FBI in the summer of 2020, seeing racial justice demonstrations nationwide. Inside FBI headquarters in Washington, higher-ups believe some of these demonstrators could be linked to a domestic extremist ideology they've termed Black identity extremism, or, as federal agents now prefer to say publicly, racially motivated violent extremism. All these things seem to create a situation where the FBI could see the protests not as First Amendment-protected activity, but as threats to national security. And that's when I heard about Mickey Windecker, his silver hearse, his mountain of guns, and his hidden camera. More after the break. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. So the FBI reports concerning Mickey Windecker's work as an informant raise a lot of questions and concerns. It's clear from these reports that FBI agents did not have a predicate or a reasonable suspicion that any crime was occurring. Nothing to justify opening an investigation of any particular person in the Denver area. Instead, all the FBI had from Mickey's information was that there were protests in Denver and some of these had become violent and destructive. This wasn't exactly proprietary information, of course. The local news in Denver was reporting on this nearly every day during the summer of 2020. 
But each of the last four days has turned into this. Tear gas, pepper rounds, rocks and bottles in the air, smashed glass, fires. But that information, that there were protests and some were violent, seemed to be enough for the FBI to justify signing up Mickey as an informant and secretly placing him inside Denver's racial justice movement. The FBI didn't have any evidence to suggest someone specific was committing violence or even was about to. Really, the only thing they had was ideology. The FBI was concerned that racial justice protesters were using heated rhetoric. Some of this talk suggesting violence, sure, but nonetheless protected by the First Amendment. Among the speakers at the Denver protests was Zebedias Hall, or Zeb, who Mickey told agents had made statements such as, we need to burn this motherfucker down, and we need to get explosives, according to the FBI's internal reports. But this wasn't secret squirrel information either. Zeb was known to say such things in front of large crowds, and many of his acid tongue speeches were publicly live-streamed for anyone to watch, like this one which you can go watch on YouTube right now if you want. I don't give a fuck about the cops, Zeb says, standing on the steps of the Colorado State Capitol, because fuck them, that's why. By signing up Mickey as an informant and opening up an investigation of Denver's racial justice protests without a clear purpose, the FBI creates a perverse incentive structure for Mickey. Here's Michael German, the former FBI agent. My way of looking at it is I would rather have an FBI undercover agent in there who, who at least knows what the law is and not that agents don't violate the law, but rather than an informant whose reliability is much lower, whose incentives are very different, right? If Mickey wants to keep getting paid by the FBI, he needs to build a criminal case, no matter what it takes. They're trying to get paid, and they get paid you know, by proving a case. And if they don't prove, a, if they come in and say, hey, I was part of this, this uh, protest movement and I didn't see any crime, they don't stay on the payroll, right? So their incentive is to manufacture crime. This is a systemic problem for the FBI. Informants who are working for money or for leniency on criminal charges often create or encourage criminal conduct. They have every incentive to do so. I've asked a lot of FBI agents about this issue in the past, and most have offered to me the same defense. There's no other way to catch the bad guys. The FBI needs these informants. In fact, there's an FBI expression about informants. If you want to catch the devil, you have to go to hell. In other words, informants can't be choir boys. If you're going to infiltrate a group of criminals, you need your own criminal, someone who can play the part and fit seamlessly into the organization. That's the business that the FBI is in, employing bad guys to catch other bad guys. As a result, many, if not most, of the FBI's 15,000 informants are people with criminal records, sketchy paths, and plenty of reasons not to be viewed as credible. The FBI knows this, of course. And as a result, informants are often subjected to lie detector tests to make sure they are not deceiving federal agents. The FBI also has informants secretly record conversations so that the government's criminal prosecution won't rest entirely on the unreliable words of an unscrupulous informant. But while informants are assets for the FBI, they're also ongoing liabilities. Informants, incentivized by thousands of dollars in cash payments, have been known to spend months with targets before any recordings begin, 
essentially grooming them and resulting in questions of entrapment much later at trial. In addition, the FBI has to allow these informants to commit crimes while on the FBI payroll. Remember, a criminal's got to do criminal things, right? During a single four-year period from 2011 to 2014, the FBI permitted informants to violate the law more than 20,000 times. And that's just the number of times the FBI has explicitly permitted informants to commit crimes, presumably in order to maintain their covers or further an investigation. What's not calculated and reported by the FBI is the number of times they turn a blind eye to informants who break the law without permission. At this point, you might be asking, is there a limit? Are some informants' crimes so awful they shouldn't be enlisted as FBI informants? Or maybe you're asking, do some informants have such a long history of deception that they just can't be trusted not to lie to FBI agents? Judging by Mickey Windecker's FBI file, the answer is no. There are no limits. When they signed up Mickey as an informant, FBI agents in Denver knew he had a rap sheet. Arrests in Colorado, Nevada, Texas, and Florida. He'd been arrested for assault, sexual assault, failing to register as a sex offender, menacing, and unlawful possession of a weapon, among other charges. The FBI knew about these charges from doing a background check. A background check that FBI agents included in their files related to Mickey's work as an informant. I don't know if the FBI pulled and reviewed the actual police and court files to get the gory details about Mickey's arrests. But I did. And I also found some recordings of Mickey talking about some of these incidents. In the sexual assault case, Mickey had a sexual relationship with a minor. Mickey actually talks about this in one of the videos I found. And while I was 19 years old, I decided that there was a place called... Uh, Rollerama, I think that's the name of the place. I met this girl. She kind of seemed mature at the time. So um, I went to the roller rink and I met her and she was talking to me. She's like, hey, here's my number. She's like, you should come hang out and all that. And I was like, all right, cool. Mickey said he didn't know the girl was underage when they had sex. And for the record, while Mickey claimed he was 19 years old when this incident occurred, court records show he was 20. And my dad had a friend who was an investigator and pulled up her name, and it turned out that she was 14, actually getting ready to turn 15. And when my dad let me know, not confronted me, but was like, hey, this is really what's going on, I was like, oh, okay, we're done. So I called her up on my house phone. I was like, hey, I can't fuck with you no more. I don't want to be around you because you're not of age. So I cut her off. Mickey was able to plead the case down to third-degree sexual assault, a misdemeanor. Several people have filed restraining orders against Mickey, including a man I found through my reporting. He contacted me and said that he was hired by Vicky to break into my home. This guy asked me not to use his name out of fear of retribution from Mickey. He described how he was going through a child custody battle with a woman named Vicky. And to do some, some level of you know, surveillance and tap my phones and put cameras in my house. Um, just a tremendous amount of craziness. Um, so we did a quick Google search and um, obviously find out that, you know, this person had this background um, and I immediately contacted the police and the judge. But what's also troubling in Mickey's court files is his history of allegedly breaking the law while also pretending to be a police officer. In one example, he allegedly showed someone a fake police badge while asking questions. In another, 
Mickey stuck a gun in someone's face and claimed to be a police officer looking for a suspect. That incident resulted in a felony conviction, and Mickey served two years in a Colorado prison as a result, in 2002 and 2003. And I think that's where Mickey learned the value of being a snitch. While in prison, he was approached about killing someone. But instead of committing the murder for hire, Mickey went to the cops and became a prison informant, helping to win convictions against the people who tried to hire him. That's the earliest example I could find in records of Mickey working as an informant. Generally speaking, criminals work as informants primarily for two reasons, either to make money or to receive leniency following an arrest. Undoubtedly, Mickey was motivated at various times by both those reasons. But for him, there appears to be an even deeper psychological impulse. Mickey saw himself as an anti-hero, someone who operates in the gray areas of the law, delivering his own brand of justice. Mickey wore a chain around his neck, and hanging from that chain was a medallion of the logo for the Punisher, a vigilante from the Marvel Comics universe who fights crime with an obscene level of violence. He literally thought he was the Punisher. Anything you see, the Punisher logo was on it. And he would always wear the Punisher necklace, even when he took a shower or a bath. Never came off. Just like a big kid. In the worst way. In the worst way. It's awful. That's in the next episode. This is Trojan Hearse, season one of Alphabet Boys. Alphabet Boys is a production of Western Sound and iHeart Podcasts. The show is reported, written, and hosted by me, Trevor Aronson. For more information about the series, or to drop us a tip, head to our website, alphabetboys.xyz. You can contact me on Twitter or Instagram, at Trevor Aronson. We believe this story is important and could result in changes to FBI oversight and public policy. But to have an impact, people need to hear the story. So we need your help. First, tell your friends about the show. Personal recommendations are the best recommendations. Second, spread the word on social media. At alphabetboys.xyz, you'll find FBI undercover recordings and secret documents. You can share stuff the government never wanted public. Third, help us ride the algorithms by leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. That helps other people find us. And thanks for listening. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Yeah. 
finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, we're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 